just an ordinary girl. I'm your host. My husband calls me Bay. My kiddos call me Mama, but you can call me Stevie. I'm just an ordinary girl helping listeners find the extraordinary life through the extraordinary God. Since the onset of COVID, our church has worked hard to have an online service streaming every week. And with the introduction of the six-foot distance, we cut down our sound booth to one person. That one person now needs to run sound for the entire service. Make sure the instruments at appropriate levels, you know, so the drums don't overpower the singers or the piano doesn't drown out the guitar. The same person also needs to change the slides to the songs. Now that's not hard. Just hit a button on the program and it displays the next slide. It's like a PowerPoint, but it's designed specifically for churches. Those two things alone are fine. Most of the time, the sound is set during worship practice, and then during the service, you just focus on the song slides. However, streaming a service is now added to this one-person job. Now we have another program that plays on another screen. With this program, you need to watch if the internet stays strong, if the person on the stage stays within the given parameters so that they stay on the screen, you need to display the words for the online world to be able to sing along. And during the sermon portion of the service, there's notes displayed on the in-house screens. So they also try to put those on the online screen as well. So two monitors clicking in two programs, making sure the sound is coming through on the online program as well as in the house, which is a different sound component than the in-house service. Oh, and we try to record the service on a recorder so that we can upload that to a podcast. All run by one person. And that one person is me. I do not have a clue what I'm doing, but somehow, by the grace of God, I have figured enough out that I can manage the bare minimum of sound, the bare minimum of pro presenter, the PowerPoint-like program, and the OBS that streams our online service. We had always planned on figuring out how to stream, but when COVID hit, we had to fast track that plan and start learning. To be honest, up to that point, I was studying Spanish. I mean, I really wanted to learn how to speak to so many of my neighbors in our town that are Spanish-speaking. I was coming along nicely until I had to also learn this crazy language of technology. (laughs) I could not keep it all in my brain. But we've been up and running for over a year now, and if nothing changes on me, I manage pretty well. I mean, the service is streaming, and the song lyrics are being displayed on the screens, and the sound is somewhat correct. And about 20% of the time, I remember to hit record on that silly recorder, and we can post those sermons to a podcast. So all in all, it's okay, but it's not perfect. I want to talk to you today about perfect. Now, I want you to raise your hand if you're a perfectionist. Okay, but let's make sure we understand this and define the word. Now, raise your hand if you have a plan in your head. You want to do what's just right, but you fall short, and it makes you crazy mad. (laughs) Now, I have everyone's hands up, right? Yes, I want to include those who maybe aren't clinically diagnosed, but find themselves fighting the perfectionist mentality all the same. So yes, there are true perfectionists, ones who can't manage if they have anything less than perfection. And then there are the borderline ones, the ones that struggle with being perfect from time to time. That may be in handwriting or cleanliness or in work project or school projects or any and all things that you do with your kids. But for me, It's the role that I play in church on Sunday mornings. I arrive in enough time to set everything up, but for the most part, the sound stays the same. However, there will be days when all of a sudden something isn't loud enough or the piano is blaring and I stare at a multi-channeled board and think, I have no clue what I'm doing. But I still move sliders up and down and I twist knobs and usually the ones that my husband's describing to me from the stage behind his guitar and his microphone as he leads worship. 
I turn on the camcorder and then the streaming program. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it plays games with me and I have to figure out why there's no sound coming through, why the picture isn't showing up, why the picture is suddenly blurry when it wasn't just a week ago or even 10 minutes before. Once all of that is done, I listen to the worship practice to make sure the sound is good. You guys, I need help. I can't even hear that well. (laughs) I have issues picking up individual sounds or sometimes I only pick up background noises. It's a mess. I'm a mess, but it tends to work out. However, (laughs) there's always a however, right? There are Sundays where I have to call my husband off the stage, luckily during practice, of course. I have to ask him into the media booth to rewire things or to run different programs, or sometimes I just ask him to stand there behind me looking over my shoulder so the silly programs will work, because you know what I'm talking about, right? Especially wives. It's like the program's not going to work for you, but when your husband does the exact same thing you just did, it suddenly works. Ugh, just trying to make you look dumb, I'm sure. Electronics are out to get us women sometimes. Anyway, all of that flusters me, and we barely have time before we fix it all to start the service, and it never fails. I'll miss slide after slide of song lyrics, or buzzing starts in and I can't figure out where it's coming from, making me step away from the song slides just long enough as the verse in the song is so that I can rush back, change those slides again. I'm running myself crazy in the three foot by five foot booth that I have to work in, knowing that even if I do find the buzzing sound, I most likely can't fix it. One week, I had everything in place before service started, and I sat in my tall chair, I sat upright, and I said to myself, today, I'm going to do this perfectly. I'm going to pay close attention. I'm going to change the slides at the perfect time. I'm going to keep track of how long I put those slides on the streaming video, and I'm going to remember to hit that stupid record button for the church podcast. This is the day for perfection. (laughs) You know what's coming, right? The first song plays. It's a good song. I love it. And I'm singing loudly. Oh, but not too loudly because I don't want my camcorder to pick up my imperfect singing voice. (laughs) And I'm into the service, but I'm a tad too much into the service. And I haven't changed the slides, the ones I'm looking directly at for like four lines. Eek. So I narrow my focus. I try to step back in to get every slide changed on time when my spirit-led husband begins to change the order of the way he is singing. He's allowed, but oh my goodness. It's not in the next slide. It's four slides before. Eek. I finally get back on track when the guitar cuts out completely. I check my end of things. The connection's good. So I try to telepathically tell my husband, who is so adorably jamming out leading worship for our church, that he cannot hear his guitar. Eek. And through all of that, I've missed another lyric slide. By the third and final song, I am settled back with an intense focus. I will get this song perfect. Every slide will be changed with the anticipation of the next word sung. I can and will go out with a bang. When the stinking CPU, and I'm not even sure what that means, or if I even have the letters correctly, but it's this box that should be green. When it turns yellow, it means the internet's running slow. And when it turns red, it means the streaming is being cut off. So right when I am about to reach perfection, well, of the last song at least, that CPU box turns red and I am scrambling to make sure everything is plugged into the internet. I'm watching the live stream to see if it's choppy or if it's going to stay running when suddenly worship's over and it's my job to play the announcement video. So I have to rush back over, push the correct button for that. But of course I forget to turn the sound up. Yeah, my perfect plans are not going well. And at the end of service, I realized for the fourth Sunday in a row that I never hit record on that stupid podcast portion of the media. 
Eek! Go figure, right? This is about the time that I jot down podcast idea. When perfection goes wrong. You know what? God has never required perfection from us. Sprinkled throughout scripture, God calls us to pursue excellence. That is not the same as being a perfectionist. Pursuing excellence is a way to give God our best, putting the focus on the journey toward God. Perfectionism is a pursuit to make ourselves perfect, putting the focus on the end product and ourselves. One gives life and one debilitates us. So we must change from perfection to pursuant. Keeping this in mind, I turn to a website, verywellmind.com, and I want to read you a checklist that they give to see if you are more on the perfectionist side of things. I'll read Dr. Elizabeth Scott's description, and then with each one, let's discuss the spiritual side of these. Perfectionists have an all-or-nothing way of thinking. If I can't do it right, I won't do it at all. Now, if I put that into practice for the service, then on days where all those things that I did that I just mentioned don't happen and things actually do run smoothly, we are still left without a streaming service because of the what ifs. What if it's not perfect this week? Well, then I guess I won't even try. The outreach this streaming has created has always astounded me. When I meet people who tell me they watch our service online, I get so excited. And do you know they never mention my mistakes? So what are you missing out on because you have this it-has-to-be-perfect-nothing-less-will-do type attitude? I'd imagine most people, unless they too are perfectionists, and we'll get to that, (laughs) don't care that it's not your version of perfection. They're just glad that you did something. Secondly, perfectionists are highly critical, mostly of themselves. You can come into a perfectionist's very clean home and they will say, sorry, the place is a mess, leaving you to think what in the world would they think of my place? I'm sorry to say that this can be me sometimes. I see every tiny cobweb missed, the tiniest morsel of breakfast not swept up, and instead of just allowing it, I announce that it's there and that I am such a slob. (laughs) Unfortunately, people like this are quick to spot mistakes in others too, But did you know that scripture reminds us that there is only one that is perfect and it isn't me and it isn't you? James 3, 2 says we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now, don't think that means that anyone even exists. He's trying to say that we can't keep ourselves in check, so we aren't perfect. Now, third on the list is that perfectionists are pushed by fear. Those who pursue excellence tend to be pulled toward the goal because of the journey along the way. Any step toward God is a good step. We recognize that it's one step at a time and we can celebrate the journey. A perfectionist? No. They are pushed by fear of not reaching the goal. Anything less is a failure. And we're going to see that in just a minute. So that fear pushes them. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. God uses us through the journey, even through our mistakes. Those mistakes are learning moments. Of course, we want to listen. Of course, we want to obey. But when we falter, God does not throw us out. We do not have to fear the fail. We just need to learn from it and keep pursuing. Next on the list is unrealistic standards. A person who is simply pursuing excellence, focusing on the pursuit, enjoys the challenge of the project, even if they don't have a perfect project at the end. They may laugh it off and say, well, I tried, and they'll walk away fulfilled. But a perfectionist pushes to get the goal, even if the goal is not even a doable task. 
Back to my example of me in the media booth, if my husband's guitar cuts out, I cannot do anything about that. It's something that he has on his guitar that's on the stage and it's connected. So to beat myself up over the sound not being perfect is really unrealistic. My son would really like to dunk in basketball, and he's wanted to do this since he was two, without help. You know how two-year-olds are. My husband would hold him up to the hoop and let him drop the ball in, and he would scream and say, no, me, do it myself. (laughs) Sometimes we cannot do it myself when the goal is unrealistic, and we have to learn to be okay with that. High achievers or pursuers of excellence, like I'm saying, Find joy in the journey, but if you're a perfectionist, you are rarely having any joy until you see the finished product. You zero in on the goal and you are only content if the goal is met. Next, Dr. Scott says that the perfectionist is depressed by unmet goals. They tend to be less happy and beat themselves up over not meeting that perfect level. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. When we shift from the perfectionist point of view to the pursuing excellence point of view, we see that in our weakness, God is shown strong, and that should uplift us. God brings us to where we need to be through our weakness. That's worthy of praise. Next one's similar to the previous one about fear. While that one says that the perfectionist is pushed by or motivated by fear, This one states that perfectionists fear failing. They put so much stock in results and become so let down by anything less than perfection that they won't even try, or they procrastinate, which ties into the next sign given. Procrastination. The perfectionist puts off doing tasks for a fear of failure. They go hand in hand. They don't even want to try. Terrified they'll fail. They worry so much about doing it wrong, they become immobilized about the task itself, and they fail to do it at all. When we thought about streaming our live service before COVID hit, we were doing just this. My husband was being a perfectionist about the sound quality. He didn't want to attempt it unless he could make it the sound perfect for those watching. I didn't want to pursue it because it was all so overwhelming. I wasn't sure it would even be worth it. I knew I'd fail, but no one stepped up to run it for us, perhaps because of the same issues, so we kept putting it off. And I'm certain it was more out of fear of it being imperfect than anything else. But when COVID hit and churches were closed for a short period of time, we knew it was time to get moving on the streaming portion. It didn't stop my husband from obsessing over the sound quality. And half the time, I didn't even hear what he had heard, which sent me into a spiral of, I can't even hear well. Why am I even doing this? I'm not going to be very successful. But one thing I've learned as a pastor's wife is that God has asked me to fill in where it's needed. And if I wanted to obey him in that task, I was going to need to let go of my perfection and get set to the task at hand. I researched for so long before we even did a real live stream of the service. My brain was in constant fog. Just like many of you, 2020 is a haze for me. How great it would have been to have taken time before COVID forced it upon us to learn about this much needed ministry. Number nine on the list is defensiveness. According to the verywellmind.com website, they state that because a less than perfect performance is so painful and scary, the perfectionist tends to take constructive criticism defensively. They internalize it and add it to their own fear pile. While a high achiever, or as I'm calling them, the person who pursues excellence, may look at criticism as a a valuable piece of the puzzle along the pursuit. They'll put it into ways to do better next time. Now, this shows that perfectionist is looking for the approval of people, and when they don't get it, it cuts them to the core. 
Galatians 1.10 asks this question, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I now trying to please people? If it were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Are you pursuing God, seeking his approval? Are you pursuing perfection, seeking man's approval? This goes for how the perfectionist treats others as well. They're quick to see fault in others and verbalize or even show their disapproval of another person's imperfectness. However, Romans 15, 7 tells us to accept one another, just as Christ accepted us, in order to bring praise to God. When the Bible tells us no one is perfect, that means you are not perfect, and that means others are not perfect. So we can't hold ourselves or others to that standard. We can pursue excellence, and we can allow others that pursuit as well. The thing about pursuing is that we are on the same course, just in different spots of the journey. So it's completely unfair to criticize someone along their journey when we've been on the same journey and not done it perfectly either. If Jesus can accept us where we are, we can accept others where they are. And we can accept ourselves as a person who is simply in pursuit of excellence but hasn't arrived yet. Now, the last thing on Dr. Elizabeth Scott's list is self-esteem. When a person is focused on maintaining perfect and not the pursuit, they will be self-critical, unhappy, and suffer from low self-esteem. The article says it's a cycle. They become lonely or isolated as their critical nature and rigidity can push others away, which in turn enhances the low self-esteem. The thing about low self-esteem is that it's all focused on self. When the Bible clearly tells us not to focus on ourselves, the imperfect ones, but to instead focus on Jesus, the perfect one. Hebrews 12.2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now Jesus walked the earth, the perfect earth. Jesus endured, and he doesn't require perfection from us. He desires the pursuit. He desires us to seek after him, step out in faith, and pursue the harder tasks, knowing that there's joy in the journey. So those are the signs of being a perfectionist. Where do you find yourself? Are you a perfectionist or a pursuer? Let's take my example of the media booth and dissect some of the issues about being perfectionist. There are three things that I'd really like for you to take away today. One, of course, I need to pay attention and change the slides so that people can sing along with the words. There's no harm in wanting to do that correctly and even focusing so that I can do it correctly. The whole point is to have the words there to help others enter into worship easier. So it's not wrong of me to try my hardest and to give my best in order to get it right. The task is important, it's needed, and does require that I do my best at it. But do you know how many people attack me after service, saying that my mistakes kept them from entering into the worship aspect of service? Do you know how many? None. Not one. For the most part, people understand that they are not going to be perfect, and they aren't expecting it. For the most part, we are not under their magnifying glass. So one of the things that I want you to take away from today's podcast is this. We can take comfort in knowing that as long as we are trying, as long as we are pursuing excellence, meaning trying our hardest at all we do, we are doing good. And it's not perfection that's needed. Number two, there is one of me and many different tasks. It's reasonable that if every component of the different tasks messed up on the same time, so will I. Sometimes we take on more than is reasonable. We cannot expect to juggle so much at once and do it with excellence. Now, I 100% believe we should put our all into everything that we set out to do, but we can't do that if we set out to do everything. 
As a pastor's wife, I have to continually remind myself of this. I'm sure my role in life isn't the only one that struggles in this area. If I fill my time with task after task, I'm going to fail in one or more of them. If I organize things and things go as they should, I can manage as the sole media person in our booth. But if we found that the sound is constantly needing monitoring or the camera needs to be moved and focused regularly and the slides were too many to do while doing the other tasks, it's unreasonable to think that I could do all of that alone. I, in essence, set myself up for failure this way. So stop and think of what you can handle and do it well, and then say no to all the other things. That's the second takeaway that I want you to know. Avoid the trap of thinking everything needs to be perfect and you're the only one that can do it. I advise new pastor's wives all the time of setting boundaries and choosing to do just what God has called you to do and to know that he never calls you to do it all alone. Now, thirdly and lastly, if I am doing the best that I can, I can rest assured that it's good enough. Now, I'm not trying to do things that I simply cannot do, like you can't expect that the two-year-old's going to dunk a basketball all by himself on a regulation height hoop. But if you set out on a task, one that you feel God is allowing you to do, and you do the best that you can that your ability allows, you are doing enough. The main thing that I'd like for you to walk away with today is knowing that you are enough. Perfection doesn't prove that. God does. He fearfully and wonderfully made you. He knows your abilities, your talents, your desires. He knows your faults, your weaknesses, and your struggles. And he loves you anyway. He doesn't ask that you be perfect. He asks that you pursue excellence. And he is excellent. Philippians 1.20 says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Honor comes from pursuing Christ and honoring him with all of our attempts in life. There's no need to walk ashamed of mistakes as long as you are trying your hardest in your pursuit. Now, I'm leaving you with this list of how to know your perfectionist and the very short list of takeaways. But what I don't have time to mention is how we get this under control. In short, very short, you begin to change the thoughts that lead you in this direction. However, that's not as easy as you think. And that's why next week I'd like to talk about the battle of the mind. But in the meantime, head over to the website and see the show notes where I leave you an article by Mary Ann Stygen. She's a licensed mental health counselor where she gives you some ideas on how to manage this perfectionism. She says to devote 10 minutes to a project that you've been too scared to tackle. Give the project the 10 minutes and see what can be done in just that short amount of time. Don't obsess over it or focus too much on finishing it, but just keep your thoughts on the process of what you're doing. Then for 30 days, try to be intentional on choosing to fight your perfectionist tendencies. If someone loads the dishwasher wrong, Stop yourself from going into that critical mode and instead say, well, at least it's loaded and then walk away, letting the dishwasher run. If your kids' rooms are a mess or their grades drop some, choose to say something positive, encouraging, and do not say what critical thoughts are in your mind. And then tell yourself the truth of scripture. And then please join me back here next week as we discuss how most of our battles begin in our minds and how we can begin to train our minds to do what's best. We just need to remember that God saw us when we were yet still sinners, and He chose for us to be His. He still chose to die for us in our very imperfect state. Then, still seeing us and knowing we were not perfect, He chose us to be His royal priesthood. 
He chose us to go into all the world and be his witnesses. He does not require perfection from us. He does desire that we pursue him in all we do and all we say yes to doing. Philippians 1.6 says that I am certain that God, who began the work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You're on a journey. Enjoy the trip. Do your best and let God take care of the rest. Now I'm your imperfect host on a pursuit toward God. I'm Ordinary Girl Stevie.